you are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 101. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. First week, I was dreaming about food. I was going through withdrawals. I was waking up and I was saying, we're not, wow, can I do this? Happy Sunday, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I'm so excited to bring you a very special episode of Veggie Doctor Radio today. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you to sign up for my newsletter if you haven't already. Get special goodies. If you text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866, you can sign up that way. Or you can go to dryami.com forward slash sign up. In addition, I have another Amazon review for my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. This is a five-star review by Kate Sansom. She says, guide your toddler to make the choices. As a parent with a strong-willed two-year-old, this book provided me the knowledge to help me guide my son to start adopting a healthy relationship with food a perfect tool to help your strong-willed toddler buy into their meals and guide them to help make healthy choices. Highly recommend having your husband read as well. Well, Kate, thank you so much for the warm review, and I am so glad that the book helped you. If you haven't already picked up a copy of my book, it is available through all your major online booksellers in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And the audiobook I narrated myself It took a few months to get it working on Audible, but it's finally there and you can download it through a a lot of other uh, audiobook sellers as well. But I know Audible is one of the most popular. So it's there if you would rather have it in audiobook format. Thank you guys for coming back week after week for being loyal listeners. If you haven't already subscribed to my podcast, I would appreciate it if you subscribe if you rate it, and please, if you review it. It really helps other people find my podcast. It helps it be more highly rated, and it just helps me eventually bring you even better and better content and quality so that this can become one of the very best podcasts out there. That's really one of my goals. So thank you so much for being with me every week. Just to remind you, the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. And if you have concern about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a medical professional. Mr. Eric Adams is the Brooklyn Borough President. 
having previously served three terms in the New York State Senate and 22 years in the New York City Police Department, he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in 2016. He then adopted a plant-based diet and successfully reversed his diabetes. Eric is committed to ensuring Brooklyn's bright future by helping each and every Brooklynite reach his or her full potential. He has worked to make the popularity of Brooklyn's brand translate into prosperity for the over 2.6 million Brooklynites that call the borough home. He is a big believer in the power of connections, of bringing together people in need of services with resources that have long existed but have been underutilized. As a legislator, Eric's record in the New York State Senate was one that underscored his strong commitment to the rights of those from every walk of life including protecting the right to privacy, supporting marriage equality, defending a woman's right to choose, as well as fighting for students' rights, workers' rights, and animal rights. His work involved efforts to prevent racial profiling, gender discrimination, domestic violence, and elder abuse. Well, Mr. Eric Adams is definitely an inspiration. His story is going to just inspire you and probably shock you a little bit. Wow, it is an incredible story. But you can just tell that this man has so much passion and he cares. He cares so much that he wants to do the right thing. And he wants to do the right thing, including with food, because he understands from his own experience and his own life, the importance, the foundation that food sets for your health and for your ability to do the work and the purpose that you were called to do, which I can tell that he's one of those people. I know that he feels a calling, that he feels like this is his life purpose. And he's able to continue doing that work because he was able to adopt a healthy lifestyle that is giving him the life and the years to provide for others. So it's just so beautiful. I know that you're going to love this interview so much. I hope that you will follow him on social media so that you can see everything that he's up for. He is running for New York City mayor. So it's super exciting to watch. And of course, being in New York, They were so hard hit with the coronavirus. He understands. He's seeing firsthand what's happening uh, to the people there in New York and how chronic conditions and pre-existing conditions have really affected the people of New York, especially people of color that are disproportionately affected by these chronic conditions. So he understands all of that. So it was really just such a pleasure to talk with him. And I know that you're really going to enjoy it. I hope you get a lot out of it. Thank you so much again for being a loyal listener every week and for being here to listen to these amazing guests. I really appreciate you. And I hope that you have a plantastic day. Brooklyn Borough President, Mr. Eric Adams. Thank you so much for joining me today on Veggie Doctor Radio. You are such an inspiration. Mm, thank you. I really appreciate that. The name of your radio says it all, Veggie Doc Radio. <laughs> <laughs> I try to live up to it as much as I can, <laughs> but yes. Well, Mr. Adams, I would love to know what drives you to do the work that you do every day? 
you know, children and families, you know, how one uh, spends uh, their entire uh, life uh, doesn't really change and you don't, you don't really move uh, far away from the core principles of what you believe. You know, I spent 22 years of my life as a police officer, uh, you know, wearing a bulletproof vest, standing on corners and just saving children and families. And it doesn't change because I went into politics. Uh, there's still a desire uh, to allow people to live a full and healthy life. And it's, it's just a driven passion that I think is important. And it's where I'm just really committed to. Mm-hmm. No, and I can tell, I mean, that passion just resonates from you in the work that you do. But you mentioned health. And I think that's really important to know about your background. In 2016, you had a health scare yourself. Tell me about your journey and how you were able to change your diet and how it's changed your life. And it's, it's fascinating that, you know, something we have so much control over, we turn that control over to someone else. Mm-hmm. And we don't really understand the impact of a health crisis until we're in the midst of it. And it's unfortunate, but so many uh, Americans and particularly New Yorkers are in the midst of that. And and back about four years ago, I was out of the country when I had pain in my stomach. Uh, I thought it was colon cancer, as mm-hmm. I shared with people, because I just lost a friend, young um, brother to colon cancer. And when I came back to New York, I, you know, I went to the doctor and, you know, men, you have to drag us to the doctor. Often we just got this mindset of just, you know, suck it up, brush it off. And at the same time, um, I lost my vision in my left eye and I was losing sight in my right eye. My ophthalmologist told me I had to turn in my driver's license because I was legally blind in my left eye and I should not be driving. And I had tingling in my hands and feet. And I thought it was from playing football because I couldn't feel the right side of my thigh. And I thought it was just nerve damage. And I just continued just to push through it. Uh, And it wasn't until the pain in my stomach that I went to the doctor. Doctor, you know, after putting me under, he did a colon check and he checked my stomach. When I came out, he says, Eric, your colon is fine, but you have an ulcer. But he said, your real problem is your diabetes. Your diabetes is in a coma level. He says, matter of fact, I'm surprised you're not in a coma right now based on your A1C levels. And I have to give you four um, prescriptions, three for your di- three for your diabetes and one insulin. And he wanted to give me blood pressure medicine, cholesterol medicine. Uh, my PSA numbers were high also. And he wanted to have me uh, take medicine for my blindness and what brought me into uh, the doctor's office, the internist's office in the beginning, uh, my ulcer. He wanted to give me uh, two medications for my ulcer. And it was, you know, and it was so funny when he said that I was diabetic. A part of me said, well, you knew it was coming. Your, your mother's diabetic, your sisters are, your brothers are either diabetic or pre diabetic. Um, all your aunties are diabetic. We use a term in our community, um, you know, she has a little sugar. And so we yeah. sweeten the term. And so there was a part of me that just said, hey, you know, you knew this was coming. And so just settle into it. Yeah. Yeah. So then what happened after that? How did you find out about changing your diet and and what motivated you to do that? Uh, you know, uh, the thought 
of, hey, you're going to be blind in a year. Um, you're going to lose some finger and some toes. It was a moment of, you know, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this. I was I may have signed up for this term of diabetes because no one really looks into the depth of diabetes. We just hear it. We've, we, we've normalized the terminology and never understand that it is the umbrella for so many other things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I said to myself, listen, I'm not a doctor, but you know what? I'm a former police officer. I know how, I know how to do investigations and done it. I know how to read. And so I went to the computer and did my own science and that's using Google. And I Googled all, you know, reversing diabetes. And that was a, an extremely important moment because I didn't put in the computer living with diabetes, which was the popular term. Yeah. I put in the computer reversing diabetes and a different series of information came up <clears throat> because of using that term reversal. And I started to get all of this information, um, Dr. Esselton, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Uh, Bernard, uh, and other uh, great doctors. And I just started, you know, reading and I read just about the whole night, you know, before dawn came. And and the next day I called uh, Dr. Esselton from uh, the Cleveland Clinic and spoke with him, told him who I was. And I went to five doctors in New York and they all told me the same thing that, hey, it's hereditary, you eat too many carbs, too many sugar, too much sugar, there's not much you can do, you're gonna be on medicine the rest of your life. That was the um, prognosis from all my doctors, all of these experts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I flew out to see Dr. Esselton, same doctor that treated Bill Clinton, and he told me that um, it was my food. And, and if I changed my food, I could reverse my condition. And I remember him saying that, and I was like, What's wrong with this fool? I'm losing my, I'm losing my sight, and he's telling me to give up chicken. <laughs> but I had nothing to lose, so I came back to the city and opened my fridge, and I was amazed. I had nothing in there that was um, that wasn't processed. Everything was overly processed, from the cheese to the noodles to everything was. Uh, based on the book I read of his, Preventing Reversing Heart Disease on the Plane, uh, everything was, ex I said, wow, this is exactly what he was talking about. My food is a, just a processed place. My pantry, my fridge, my cabinets, everything was just processed. I wasn't eating food. I was eating food-like stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were used to, right? I mean, that's how you were raised. That was your culture. It just seemed normal to you. Yes, yes. And that, and that is so important uh, because the journey really made me understand how I had to unlearn to learn. And when I started just delving into, um, you know, this information around food and, you know, our bodies are machines. Mm -hmm. And just as our car, our car needs a fuel, which is, you know, petroleum, uh, it won't run on water, it won't run on vinegar, and even if you dilute the petroleum with uh, other things, it would chuck along, but eventually it would break down. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, you know what I'm seeing and what I learned that yeah, our body's an amazing entity. It's amazing creation. It'll chuck along, but there's a reason that experts, medical experts, say at 50 
check for this. At 60, check for this. Because they know it's going to chuck along until you get to that date. And then, you know what? You at the breakdown stage, you know? And so, you know, I had to learn, you know, what food did to me. And food is like heroin, you know? You're just not going to say, okay, I'm no longer going to use this drug anymore. Uh, you need, I needed therapy. That first week, I was dreaming about food. I was going through withdrawals. I was yeah. waking up and I was saying, we're not, wow, can I do this? And I needed to motivate myself. I need, needed um, positive inspirations. I needed some visualizations, some pitches, uh, just to sort of get my mind right of why I'm doing it. And that, you know what, I can see myself through this. And it took it took a lot. It took a lot of really discipline. And, you know, I have a type A personality where I just went cold turkey. But, you know, some people need a real nurture, nurturing and support system to get them through a very difficult time of weaning ourselves off the addictive, creatively addicted behavior of food. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, that is so well said. And you're right about the support and community because a lot of people, they're immersed in a world. We're all immersed in the world, actually, because it's part of our society to eat these foods. It's normalized to eat these foods. It's normalized to overeat also because it gives us more opportunities to eat, <laughs> you know, yes. and, it's, and that's yes. the benefit of the food companies. But you so were true. able to, I love how you asked a powerful question. And that powerful question is, how can I reverse this? Instead of you asking, how do I cope with it? How do I live with it? How do I make it easier? You didn't ask those questions. You asked, how do I reverse this? And that is just a testament to making sure you are asking the right question. Ask the powerful question. So I just love how you brought that up. Okay. So then you changed your diet. It was difficult. So it wasn't just like a cakewalk and Mm -hmm. hopefully literally it wasn't a cakewalk, (laughs) but then (laughs) you changed your diet and now your life is completely different because to me, you look like the epitome of health. You're so active. You're so vibrant. So how do you feel now? How's your health now after you've made this diet change? Uh, Unbelievable. I, you know, I, I I wish there was a way to express what I feel felt and what I feel. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I, my heart goes out to people who look around at themselves and know that there is a, a you inside of them. Know that, that there's someone they always wanted to be. And, and don't believe that they could change. And it's just so untrue. And that is what my mission is. My mission is to know that, you know, you can be the you you've always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one enjoys the bloaty feeling, the constipations, the headache, the lethargic feeling, uh, the always having acid reflux, um, benchmarking your day by, you know, did I take my pill? And to all of a sudden, Find that hope on the other end and know that you are in so much control. And I just enjoy, you know, I dropped 35 pounds and 
and my mind is clearer as I'm starting to learn the connectivity between uh, dementia, Alzheimer's and the food we eat. We always thought the brain was a separate entity of what we put in our stomach. And just the whole universe is opening on you know, my patience level of just how I feel every day <laughs> and just not carrying around the weight of bad food. This is just, I just have a different relationship with food and it just has, has turned me into a different human being. I am not the person um, I was five years ago and I am more healthier now than I was when I was 21 years old and I'm months away from 60. And my son laughs all the time. And he says, Dad, who's 23 and who's 60? (laughs) (laughs) He can't keep up with you, huh? (laughs) Oh, well, that is incredible. And I am so glad you told that story. But one thing I want to point out that happens, and I think that this is an advantage and a disadvantage of humans, is that we are so adaptable. I mean, we're in the midst of this coronavirus thing And I think a lot of us have already adapted to the way that we're living now. But the same thing can happen when your body doesn't feel right. I think that you could probably say this too, right? Like it just slowly creeps up on you and it's hard for you to tell, like, how did I feel before? Did I always feel like this? Did I always have heartburn and really tired and... It's like you just get used to it. And I think that happens in children too. And as a pediatrician, I point out to parents, sometimes kids are so adaptable that when they're feeling bad, they don't realize that they're feeling bad and they just go throughout their day until you start feeling better. And then you can see the sharp contrast. Oh my gosh, I used to have stomach pain every single day Mm -hmm. and now I don't. That's incredible. So thank you so much for pointing that out. Now you, oh, go ahead. And, and we normalize those um, bad uh, feelings. And I mean, part of our, we're hardwired wired for adaptability, which can be a plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, um, that same adaptability can turn into a negative when we adapt and just adjust. And, you know, many people feel as though you know, okay, well, I'm 50, I'm supposed to feel this way, I'm supposed to do this. When, you know, that's the message we're sending out, that that is not true. Um, you know, we could really reverse uh, these diseases. And it's just, and what I really found um, troubling on this journey is the reluctancy of healthcare professionals, yeah. of, you know, being willing to say that, Let's change the course we're doing. I, I I admire those like yourself who have really pushed through their training and stated that we're going to heal families. Uh, but far too many, because of how they were taught, are remaining in that place of really pushing back mm-hmm. against the thought of disease reversal. And we want to really go after that. Absolutely. No, that is so important. And doctors are just like everybody else. I mean, we get stuck in our ways and uh, sometimes because our training didn't include it, I feel like there's some doctors, it's just not in their realm of consciousness, you know, because they weren't taught that it's not talked about at conferences, you know, so it's Mm -hmm. not part of the mainstream medical conversation. And so they kind of shut it down. Like, you know, this is not important. This is not valid in my profession. So I'm not even going to take time to address it. Plus a lot of doctors are very overworked, so they don't even have time to look into it and investigate it. So that's a very important point. 
Now you serve 2.6 million Brooklynites. <laughs> I mean, that's just mind boggling. That is so many different people, different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different ways of understanding health, of understanding life. What do you think is the biggest barrier to adopting health-promoting nutrition and lifestyle habits amongst all these people? Do you see any common themes? That's a great question. Of the, I believe uh, it's in layers. The largest uh, inhibitor is um, the city itself. We feed the crisis, uh, particularly to those communities that are in greater need. Uh, when you think about how we are in contrast to our message is not meeting the mission. Mm-hmm. So the Department of Health is spending millions of dollars to fight childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. Uh, but another agency, the Department of Education, is feeding over 960,000 meals a day uh, mm-hmm. to children. And those meals um, cause uh, childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. And as long as we keep feeding the crisis, we feed bad food to men and women in the Department of Correction, bad food to children in child child protective custody services, bad food to our seniors and senior centers. So we feed uh, our residents bad food. I can't control what a person does at home, but I can control what I feed you on the taxpayer's dime. Mm. And we should not be feeding the healthcare crisis. It's unsustainable to have uh, 30 million Americans with diabetes and 84 million are pre-diabetic, spending 80 cents on a dollar on chronic diseases. And we are uh, the feeder of those crises. And that has become a big challenge. We have to shift our thinking from caloric consumption to nutritional consumption. Mm. And we just put out a report in New York City called Feeding New York, New York City. And in that report, we talk nothing about nutrition, nothing about a plant-based lifestyle, nothing about healthy eating. Uh, many of our city harvesters, many of the groups that feed the poor are feeding the poor processed food, food that feed their chronic diseases. If we don't stop that, uh, we're never going to get this problem solved. And that's the big problem that I see. Oh, that gives me chills because that is so true. It's a vicious cycle, right? It's like we dig ourselves into a hole. And I think you've kind of already answered this, but what do you think the government or public policy, what role do you think that those entities should play in the promotion of healthy lifestyles? Really, I love that question because... I'm a big believer. You don't meet people where you are. You meet them where they are Mm -hmm. and you take them where they ought to be. And Mm -hmm. you don't talk down to people. You understand uh, the problem and understanding the problem is not saying, okay, um, bad food hurts you. That's not understanding the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is just giving a diagnosis of the problem. Understanding the problem goes deeper. Why is this person eating this bad food? Um, what are they dealing with in their lives? Because food is also a way to self-medicate yourself. What's going on in their life? Um, what are the cultural things that are important uh, to them? If you, if they like eating a certain food, 
then we have to replace it to give them the taste and the cultural norm. How do we go to uh, their methods of communications? If, it, if it's the African-American community, we lean heavily on the black church, then we need health ministries in every church. And we need to show people, how do you do quick recipes? Uh, how do you um, uh, uh, make a meal that's inexpensive? Uh, or how do you shop in the store? How do you read a label? How do you, instead of using this, use that? You know, how do we show people and take them along? And if we don't do that, if we just say, hey, you need to eat more salad, that's a losing battle. No, we need to actually hold people's hands the same way NAAA and every other uh, area that wean people off an addictive substance. We need to respect food at that same level and its addictive behavior uh, to show people how to transition out. We, we were at a food pantry and we were handing out food to people and I handed someone a beat. They said, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> you know, so if we're not showing people what to do with these um, different products, showing them the power spices um, every day, instructing people on a different spice on Sundays before you start your sermon, give them the power spice. Hey, here's nutmeg. Here's the origin. Here's what it does for your body. Here's garlic. Here's the origin. Here's how you use it in a meal. So we need to incorporate it into our normal lives. And then we would change what the normalcy is to the new norm. And that is the way we have to do this. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that so much. And the passion just exudes from you. I wish I were there with you. So that's, it's just so beautiful. Well, tell me about the sustainability of the healthcare system. Obviously we've touched on this a little bit and you talked about the impact that these chronic diseases have, but how would a more positive lifestyle with diet and lifestyle choices affect the sustainability of our healthcare system? This is so it's so funny how smart people are making dumb analysis. Mm -hmm. And all of this is connected. The abuse that food is doing to our mother is also abusing Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. Our overconsumption of meat and dairy is burning down our our Amazon for chicken feed and cattle feed is killing the filter that filters our oxygen. Uh, it is hurting our communities. And it trickles back to this healthcare system that basically deals with symptoms and not how do you prevent diseases. Mm -hmm. the, the dialogue must change from living with to reversal and prevention. Yes. And I believe the connection should be a line, a pipeline uh, that starts from the mother's womb. I believe the first classroom is in a mother's womb. Uh, the studies have shown that genes are turned on and off in a mother's womb based on the diet that that mother have, everything from iron to folic acid and others to deal with cognitive abilities. You know, as a pediatrician, you probably, you know, better than I, but it's clear that if we're not giving those mothers the right nutrition in the beginning, we're setting their, ch their child, their children up for failure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so it's, it starts feeding the healthcare crisis mm -hmm. right at the beginning. 
And we know just by looking at um, what's happening with coronavirus, uh, 94% of the people die from pre-existing conditions. Those pre-existing conditions, we use that one terminology, but they're the chronic diseases that are reversible and we create based on what we foot, what we feed people, the asthma, the respiratory conditions, the diabetes, the heart disease, the high blood pressure. These are all food-related uh, items. And if we don't stop this, then our healthcare system is going to collapse under the weight of the number of people that are needed and that are treated. We spend more than any modern society on healthcare, yet we're the sickest. Something is wrong with that just on the surface, and we need to turn it around. Yeah. And what you're saying is we need to start thinking upstream. How can we go upstream and stop the cycle from the beginning? And you're speaking my language. Just for the <laughs> listeners, I was nodding my head so hard. I thought my head was about to fall off just then because it is so true. He's talking about how fetuses, I mean, it goes back even to your grandmother. What your grandmother ate and how she lived affects babies, her, her grandchildren. So that is super important. Well, this has been really great. Just one last question for you, Mr. Adams. What call to action can you leave for the listeners for the week? What is one thing that you want them to do this week to improve their lives? Love it. Archbishop Desmond Tutu stated it the best and exactly what you said. He said, we spend a lifetime pulling people out of the river. Uh, no one goes upstream and finds out why they fell in in the first place, paraphrasing him. And, and that energy is there. Uh, getting upstream is one step at a time. And I'm asking us to start the walk upstream. Mm -hmm. And it starts with Meatless Mondays. Uh, let's just start and say, OK, on Mondays, I'm going to do a meal uh, with my family uh, that's meatless. I'm going to tell my uh, schools that we I want you to start serving meatless Mondays like we did here in Brooklyn and now it has cascaded throughout to in the entire city. Let's talk to our governmental agencies. Let's start a meatless Monday movement because then it will open the door for us to be creative with different meals we can try and we can duplicate them. Once we build a nice a dossier of different meals we can try, then that Meatless Monday would turn into Meatless Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and eventually throughout the week. People will start to understand, like I did, that, hey, I can survive without fast food, junk food, fatty food, greasy food, sugar-laden uh, food, and we can do so and move in the right direction. So one step at a time to head upstream so we can stop people from falling into the river. And a meatless Monday is a great way to do it uh, nationally. And it will really start the conversation on why we are weaning ourselves off food that is toxic and bad for our bodies. Perfect. Beautifully said. Mr. Eric Adams, thank you so much. You thank are you. such an inspiration. Thank you for your dedication, your commitment, your sacrifice, and for really pouring your life into making New York a better place. So I really appreciate everything that you do, and I hope that you have a very plantastic day. <laughs> thank you. Take care. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons 
for permission to use the Broccoli Song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli.